Stick to Syracuse, episode 20. Are you listening through the link on Syracuse.com or through social media? Awesome ways to find us here on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. But let me remind you that you can subscribe. Find us on iTunes, on Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Just hit that subscribe button and you don't even have to worry about it. A new episode of the Stick to Syracuse podcast will show up wherever you listen to your podcasts just by subscribing. We're so glad you're here. Tell your friends about the Stick to Syracuse podcast. We've been enjoying what we're doing, but if you have any suggestions on guests, topics, interesting people, and interesting stories to pursue here in Central New York, I'm all ears. Best way to get in touch with me on Twitter, Brent Axe Media, or via email, BAX, that's B A X E, at Syracuse.com. Looking forward to hearing from two guests on the show today. One is Mike McAllister. When it comes to Syracuse University sports recruiting, Mike is the man. We have our first repeat guest on the sound scene, and it's a great one to bring back. The first time around, all you heard was the music of Chris Merkley. On episode 20, you'll hear from Chris as well, and why he has one of the most unique concert experiences you can go to. Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions will chat with Chris. Now, a programming note here on Stick to Syracuse episode 20. For those of you that remember the tease from last week, We were scheduled to have Syracuse University Chancellor Kent Severud on the program this week. We unfortunately had to cancel that interview, but we will have him as a guest here on Stick to Syracuse down the road. Gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brett X. When it comes to Syracuse University sports recruiting, Mike McAllister is the man. It's a crazy world, as we like to say in sports, recruiting never stops. So how does Mike balance a full-time job, a family, including a young son, and tracking down the world of recruits, which isn't always a 9-to-5 gig? We talk to him about it here on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. Let's take a listen. I've always been fascinated by it, and I, I think, honestly, what it kind of started from was if you go back to playing video games, Madden, NCAA football, etc., you could do Dynasty mode and those types of things. And what I always used to try to do when I was playing Madden was I wanted to, you go through the draft when you were doing dynasty right. mode and you're trying to um, get the younger guys because you have to worry about salary cap stuff. And so I was always kind of, I want to get the younger guys who maybe have their awareness rating is down a little bit, but all the skills are there and then you can use them. And because I'm the one controlling them, I can make them play better than what they're supposed to. And And so I sort of got into the, always turning your roster over from that. And then because I grew up in Syracuse, I grew up a Syracuse fan and I used to always kind of follow who's leaving, who's coming in. We know the roster always turns over in college athletics like crazy, much more so than professional ranks. And so I was always kind of monitoring it as just a fan, as someone who grew up in the area. And when I started my own personal blog, where it was basically me and a couple of friends that were reading it, and that was it. So when was that? That was back, I would say, 2010, 2011, okay. something like that. I had um, 
season tickets prior to that with a buddy of mine during the Greg Robinson era <laughs> and then the beginning of the Doug Marone era. So, and then prior to that, I had season tickets with my dad during the Greg Robinson era. So, um, I went to every game. <laughs> God bless you. I know, right? That um, was a time, like, we, we're fortunate in what we do. You're working at a sporting event, right? Yeah. How fun is that? That felt like work. Like, Absolutely. to trudge through the Robinson era was just... It did going eesh. as a fan. And and I love going to games, even when you go to games and you're not expecting your team to win, necessarily. But you went into every game saying, I just hope we're not down by four touchdowns at halftime. And when that's your base, your that's your ceiling, I mean, that tells you how bad it was. Um, but... So I, I, I was sitting in the stands with a buddy of mine. And, you know, we're chit-chatting back and forth, making comments. And he made some comment to me, you know, you should start a blog. I said, why? He said, because you always say interesting things during the game. And I said, nobody cares about what I <laughs> And he's like, yeah, but look at guys like Mike Florio and things like that's how they started, right? And they became something. And I'm like, come on, you know, nothing's going to happen. So I decided a little while later, to start my own blog, mainly to vent. Because you look at how bad Syracuse football was, right? right? And, and I'm a football guy. Football is my number one sport as far as what I love. And so I would just use it to vent. And it would just make me feel better. You know, Syracuse loses 51-3 to three and you just rip into it with with an article. Talking whatever. to your buddy about it, wasn't it? <clears throat> right. You had, to, you had to join a community. Yes. Yes. So I started doing that. Shortly after I, I was doing that, I would say about six months into it, I was contacted by someone from a network called Coast to Coast Hoops, and they wanted me to run their Syracuse site. It was not for any pay, but it was a network that had some sort of backing with resources, et cetera, which was more than I had. So I jumped into it, and that site was called Nation of Orange. And when I started there, because of the resources I had, I started to get some traction in social media. Um, I broke the Michael Benege transferring from Duke to Syracuse news. That was the first piece of news that I broke. And the real big, honestly, like, I've arrived moment as being media guy was when I went from caller on the Brent Ack show to guest <laughs> on the Brent Ack show, to be honest, because I listened to you every day before I, I was started coming on. So when I went from just calling in and being Mike in North Syracuse that calls in to talk about things to here's Mike McAllister from Nation of Orange as a guest, that was a cool moment for me. So I was doing this as my second gig because I still had a primary nine to five job, which I still do. And um, I met John Garcia Jr., who was running the Syracuse site, which was with Scout at the time, but it was CuseNation.com. He got promoted uh, about a year later. and they To needed, go cover Alabama. To go cover the state of Alabama recruiting, not Alabama football, but the state of Alabama which, recruiting. Which, by the way, like that's one of the best of the best. Yes. Because Alabama's in your backyard. They're obviously the top athletes in the South that will consider Alabama. I mean, that's one of the best places to be. I mean, you think about the hotbeds like Texas and places in the South, like that, that's where you want to be. That's a big promotion in the recruiting world. Absolutely. You think about the primary schools that are recruiting Alabama, it's Alabama, Auburn, uh, Florida, Georgia, Clemson. It's I mean, Those schools are all coming in fighting for guys, right? So that tells you what uh, Scout now 24-7 thought of John and still do. 
So they needed someone to replace him as the publisher for CuseNation.com. There was a little apprehension because I had another job, and this was going to be my quote-unquote second job, of me taking it over full-time. So I started out just as the recruiting guy for CuseNation.com. And then a year into it, because of they were satisfied with the work I was doing, they had me take it over full-time. And that was in about 2013 or so, and I've been running the site ever since. So not only do you have a primary job, that is your full-time job that pays the most of the bills. You have a little boy. I do. Okay, so it's one of these things when you're just doing you're just a fan, you're just doing a blog, you're venting, you got all the time in the world, but then the real world's knocking on your door. Now you have a son, somebody who, you know, has worked in this business and I look, we all each of us only have one uh kid. You have a son, I have a daughter. But we know how much that can consume life yes. and how that can suck up your free time. And when you're covering sports, particularly Syracuse sports, that's a lot of Saturdays. That's a lot of weekends. It's a lot of quality time that you otherwise would spend with your family. So how has that affected how you what you're doing and how you do it at QSNation.com? You must have a, as, as I'm fortunate to, you have to have a very understanding wife. Absolutely. A very understanding spouse to kind of guide you through it. That was kind of where I was going to start right there. Because if you don't have that, then you can't do this job. And- you know, we don't put in, obviously, the same type of hours and, and et cetera as coaches do, but it's similar in that you can't do that job unless you have family that is supportive, and that starts with the wife. And I know, obviously, my son would prefer I had zero jobs and I was just home with him all day, at least for now until he becomes a teenager, then he doesn't want me to be around anymore. But, um, yeah, it's it can be tough sometimes. I'm fortunate that... Um, both jobs give me some flexibility that if he's got something going on at school, you know, I can figure that out. I also rely heavily on interns from Newhouse. Um, I, I've used some connections that I've made through some professors up there to um, get interns basically every year so that I don't cover every single football and basketball game. I cover um, a chunk of them. And I cover a bulk of them and I cover, I try to avoid weekday games for basketball if I can. Duke, Georgetown are exceptions to that. So um, because I've got some flexibility, because I've got a supportive wife, I'm able to get to games on Saturdays and and cover um, a lot of different events and do those types of things. And, um, you know, my son's starting school. He's going into um, his last year of pre-K and then the next year he'll be starting kindergarten. So he's got a lot of things going on, which helps occupy some of his time. It's it's really all about prioritizing, making sure that everyone is getting the time that they're supposed to get, and uh, sometimes meaning you sacrifice doing some things you want to do to make sure that wife and child are happy. Establishing a relationship with the coaches, not just the coaches here at Syracuse, but high school coaches you know, all over the place when it comes to football and basketball. What's that process like for you? I would imagine, you know, you must have a really good cell phone plan because you must be <laughs> texting and calling and, and, you know, constantly, you know, making those contacts one way or the other. Yeah, the only time it's tough on the cell phone plan is if you get Canadian prospects, <laughs> right? Because then you got to go start going international a little bit. That can, you know, raise it up a little bit. But um, to be honest with you, most of them understand how things work. With Syracuse coaches, it's pretty easy. You know, you go to practice, uh things like that. They kind of know who you are. They see you around. They see you at games and things of that nature. 
And so, you know, you just kind of introduce yourself. That's kind of how you start out and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm, I'm trying to do. I cover recruiting and, and they understand how things go. And then from that point on, it's all about trust. They're not going to give you information if you betray their trust in that they say, hey, we're giving you a heads up. This is going to happen. But um, so-and-so is going to commit. Don't report it until he announces because, you know, you want the kid to have his moment. And so if you betray that, then obviously they're going to stop giving you heads up. So that that's kind of how it goes. You have to develop the relationship. You have to build the trust. It's um, It takes a long time to build the trust, and it takes a very short time to um, tear it down. With high school coaches and AAU coaches, it's more difficult only because there's far fewer opportunities to see them and talk to them in person. If it's a local coach, if Syracuse is recruiting a kid from Rochester, like they're recruiting a kid in the 2020 class right now, Stephen Mahar from um, plays at Aquinas. I can go to a game, get a credential. I can chit chat with the high school coach. Um, you know, go down on the field before the game. Those types of things. We can interact face to face, and so then that helps develop a little bit of trust. If you've got a kid from Florida, I'm not flying down to Florida to watch a kid <laughs> play a high school football game. I'm just not. It's not financially feasible. It's the it, the benefit doesn't um, outweigh what the cost is. So. From that perspective, it's more difficult because all of your interaction is either text or phone call. You rarely see them face-to-face. And so that is all about um, – it really tests your communication skills, to be honest with you. You have to communicate. You have to talk to them. But because most of the high school coaches have had recruits, have had players that are Division One prospects, they understand how all this works. I'm not the only one from 24-7 contacting them because most of the time when Syracuse is recruiting someone, they've also got – Wake Forest, North Carolina, um, those type of uh, Pittsburgh, Boston College teams after them. So publishers from those sites are contacting the coaches. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's just about keeping the relationship, keeping the trust, making sure that you're straightforward and honest with them. They'll be straightforward and honest with you. And then you just build that relationship over time. How do you filter through the fans in the sense of, look, you know as well as anybody, fans are very passionate. Recruiting mm-hmm. discussions, even though we're talking about teenagers here, they were talking about 17, 18-year-old kids who can change their minds and, you know, are trying to figure out, as you said, what to do with the rest of their life and take this talent that they have and, and use it to the best of their ability. But you've seen how crazy fans can get. Now, does that get magnified a little bit too much? For the most part, are fans reasonable? They're just curious. They're just passionate about their schools, and they want to know what's happening. Like, Where would you put the percentage of good reason fans – that read your site, subscribe to your site, go on the message boards and just want to talk sports versus the nutballs that will tweet a kid some things I'm not going to repeat because he dared to choose some other school. And that's the thing, like, Mike, you know as well as anybody, you can't get all of them, right? So why would you tweet at a kid if he dared to go somewhere else? Like simple math tells you you're not going to get all these guys. And and I don't think it doesn't accomplish anything anyway. Even if there's a kid who you view as this is a must-get recruit for my team, and he picks another school. Well, guess what? You tweeting at him and telling him you hope he tears his ACL, other recruits see that. Exactly. And now every fan base has those whatever. But it doesn't it does nothing positive for the school you're rooting for for anything. Yes, you do have that. I think most of the time the people that are interacting with me on Twitter or my message board, even though sometimes I disagree with their reaction sometimes to recruits picking other schools or the state of the program or those types of things. Most of the time, they don't go to extremes where it's 
over-the-top ridiculous. Most of the time, it's fine. I do think sometimes um, things do get taken a little too far. Syracuse basketball last season won you know 20 games and lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And I've seen a lot of, look at the last five years, Syracuse basketball is tumbling. I'm like, this 20 and 14 is your floor. That's the worst it's going to get is a bubble team, as long as Jim Beheim is the head coach. The best you got is a national championship contender. The worst you got is a bubble team. Your program's fine. So I try to bring almost like the don't get too high, don't get too low aspect to things. I do that with an individual recruit. I've had a lot of people with Syracuse basketball who's targeting Andre Jackson, local kid from the Albany area. Syracuse has spent a lot of time recruiting. They're recruiting him very hard. He is clearly their top 2020 target. If they missed him and he picks another school, that's going to hurt to some extent. That's not going to be some overarching theme that Syracuse basketball can no longer recruit and that um, the program is going to be in peril and they won't have talent anymore. And the thing that I always tell people when they start to overreact to a recruit picking somewhere else is wait and see how it ends up. Because sometimes you end up with someone better. That kid will flip back to you, which has happened. Chance Amy, even though he has since transferred, originally picked Houston. People freaked out. He flips back to Syracuse and signs with them. So you never know a lot of things. So I always tell people, wait and see how it plays out. Then do your analysis and compare and say, well, Syracuse didn't get the guy I thought they were going to get, but they still got a top 60 player who's a four-star. I'm pretty happy with that. I think they're okay. Or, well, they ended up only getting a two-star kid who had no other power conference offers. I'm concerned. Okay, well, you need to know what the end result is before you can start freaking out. That's kind of where I try to bring people so that you don't have people having heart attacks when someone picks another school. You brought up Andre Jackson, huge target in the class of 2020 for Syracuse basketball. What are the other priorities out there right now for hoops? Because there's a lot of incoming guys this year, Jesse Edwards and Joe Girard third and John Bullajock, Quincy Garrier, who's an exciting prospect from Canada. I think fans kind of know who these guys are, and we've talked about them a lot. So skipping ahead to 2020, there's Andre Jackson. There's a recent commit that Syracuse had, and is that kind of where they're at? Yeah, that that, that's really I mean, that's really Woody it, right? Newton is, is the player who's committed, and he's a four-star top 100, uh, kind of a tweener forward type, can play either forward spot, almost similar to O'Shea. In some respects, um, I think a little bit better in terms of his jump shooting ability than what O'Shea was coming out of high school. But yeah, I mean that's they don't have a ton of scholarships. Before O'Shea left, they technically had zero scholarships available for the 2020 class because they had zero seniors on the team, and they had every scholarship spot filled up. O'Shea left. Now, even if he came back for another year, you expected him to leave after his his junior year, but. He technically didn't have to. So now that he's left, you have one scholarship available for 2020, which is taken by Newton. And, But, you know, there's always some sort of attrition, right? So if Andre Jackson wants to commit, there's a scholarship for him. And you can always say, buddy, we're going to take you off a scholarship. If, right, if buddy Bayheim right. doesn't technically have to be on scholarship. Right. Exactly. Right. There's a nice little out clause you got there if, if you're Jim Bayheim. Exactly. Yep. So the 2020 class is really focused on you've got Woody committed trying to get Andre Jackson in, you're gonna then you're going to have a two-man class, and that's going to be it. If you miss on him, I don't think that there's anyone right now where you can say, if they miss on Andre Jackson, that's the guy, or it's one of these two guys. It's, um, I think, sort of reset, uh, reevaluate, and we know that in the last 
few recruiting cycles, Syracuse got international players late. Merrick Dolajai, uh, Jesse Edwards. So the international market usually does not show itself until much later in the recruiting cycle. So if you miss on a guy like Andre Jackson, you can still get a really good player at a similar position who might not be on the radar right now. Like you brought up that you were a season ticket holder, started writing that blog in the Greg Robinson era. Yes. The darkest days of Syracuse football, yes. quite literally. But the program rose up, and now here we are in 2019, 10-win season last year. They're making all the top 25 preseason rankings this year after getting back into the top 25 a season ago. Dino Babers has electrified this fan base. Tommy DeVito takes, speaking of recruiting, got to keep the pipeline going, steps right in for Eric Dungy. There's high expectations there. So Syracuse football is in this much different place. So what's it like to cover Syracuse football now that they're good? And and let's talk a little shop there. How is that relating to the latest recruiting news? Now, we should know Mike and I are taping this on Friday. So if something had happened over the weekend, this podcast comes out on Mondays. You certainly check Mike's site and Twitter for the latest there because recruiting never stops. That's Who right. knows what could happen between when we record this conversation and when it comes out. But what's the latest intel on, on football there and what, what it's like to cover this team now that they're good? Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. You know, it's it's nice going to the Dome when Florida State or Clemson or, you know, NC State, who's been really good the last few years, Louisville, uh, even though, you know, with Lamar, they, they kind of beat up on Syracuse. But still, you go to the Dome saying there is a realistic scenario that Syracuse can win this game. You know, at Clemson, a couple of years ago when Syracuse upset them, was a better team than Syracuse. Syracuse beat them. But you went into that game saying, I know Clemson's better, but... It's not some absurd miracle for Syracuse to be competitive in that game. You went into the game last year saying, you know, I know it's at Clemson, but we've seen Syracuse be competitive with this team. They could do it again. And we saw them be competitive at Miami when Miami was a national title contender right right after that Clemson game. So it, from my perspective, I much prefer to cover a team that is good, competent, that Three games into the season, fans haven't lost complete interest. It's more beneficial for me when the team has buzz around it because then fans want to know about the team. They want to know about recruiting. And and when you have a team that wins 10 games and goes to a prestigious bowl game, now you've got four-star recruits taking a look at Syracuse. Now, I don't know that that means in 2020 that means they're going to land five to eight of them, but... There's a top 50 player overall in the 2020 class, Jalen Berger, who's a running back, who has visited Syracuse multiple times and has Syracuse, I believe he cut his list down to top 10 within the last week or so, and Syracuse made the cut. I think I don't think without that 10-win season, Syracuse makes the cuts for, for, for those types of players. What How it really impacts recruiting is you string two or three of those years together, and now you're not just making lists you're landing some of them. So it it's a process. I know there were a lot of people that thought, we just won 10 games. We're going to get a bunch of four stars next year. Look at our system and how fun it is to play in. And all of those things are true. But you have to do it multiple years in a row so that you're showing recruits you're not a flash in the pan. And then you start sending players to the league, especially at the quarterback position. You want to get elite quarterback recruits. you got to send one to the league. Maybe it's Tommy DeVito who has some success in the NFL. And then all of that can build on itself. This coaching staff can recruit. Now they just need multiple years of success behind it. And then it'll really start to pick up. 
Chris Merkley has performed over a thousand shows from the streets of Paris to venues throughout Europe and across the United States. He's released nine albums with a variety of groups, which include the songwriting duo Merkley and Morgan, his high-octane bluegrass and country blues globetrotting band, The Crooners, and the swampy blues rock trio of Digger Jones. Now, wait a minute. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yep, Chris has been a guest on the Stick to Syracuse podcast before, but we didn't get to hear his voice last time in conversation with Kathleen Mason from K-Maze Productions, but you will this time, along with his great music as well. The sound scene is recorded at Cafe Kubal Studios, and they're offering a really cool deal. If you go to shop.cafecubal.com and enter the code STICKTOSYRACUSE at checkout, you'll get 20% off your order. Pretty cool. Let's hear Kathleen Mason chat with and the music of Chris Merkley. Whenever I talk to anyone about you, I always talk about the visual aspect of your music because when you're such a treat to see live because you've got the stomp boxes, you have your guitar, sometimes it's slide guitar, and then you have your harmonica stand around your neck. And so you are literally this one-man band. And I love to see people watch you that haven't seen you before because their jaws drop. And it's my favorite part of any show that you do. Can you tell me, when did you start traveling with the sound boxes? When did you start getting that sound together? So I guess to try to describe, paint a picture um, of, of what you're talking about here with the sound boxes, they're, they're basically wooden boxes I built uh, with microphones inside and when I place solo performances, I, um, I have one for each foot and I stomp on them to produce different percussive sounds. Um, the inspiration for those was actually uh, inspired by a bandmate, my bandmate from the Crooners, Dallas Fitzgerald. He was a washtub bass player. And so the Crooners, we were college friends uh, who started a band and ended up touring around, traveling in Europe. Uh, we played in the streets a lot. I got really used to that pulsing rhythm of the washtub and, and the style of playing that Niles employed was there's like a broomstick with a string and it's tied to this wash tub, you know? And so he had adapted his great uncle style of playing, which you kind of, you pull on the the stick to get the tension on the string to change the note of the bass uh, note that he's playing. But then he also lifts up on the the wash tub. So it was, I described as uh, boom check. It was always like the rhythm. It was just like this, like he, he, it was more versatile than that, but that was the main one that was kind of this like heartbeat for the band. And so when I started playing solo performances, I really missed that percussive element. I guess the idea is I, I try to produce a lot of sound without making it look like I produce a lot of sound. I don't want it to look like too much of a contraption. Uh, oh no, so the boxes were like that, the way to do that for me where I sit on top of them and it's kind of like this little mini stage and it is fun to see people react to that to try to figure out where the, the sound is coming from. Yes. On its 
11th year. 11th year. Very exciting. I've been three years in a row. It's great. Um, so I encourage anyone in the area, or even if you're not, fly on in for it. Yeah, we get people <laughs> from out of state all the time, great. actually. Yeah, people kind of plan their summers around it. So, so how did it start? It started as a, basically as a house party with friends and friends' bands. There's maybe, I think, six or seven bands the first year. Um, had a little stage built in the front yard, and the back porch was an acoustic stage. And then basically every, every, every year since then, the, the front stage has gotten bigger. Historically, it was always a one-day party. And then uh, maybe around, I guess, eight, Seed Stack 8, we uh, kind of caved to demands of camping and overnights and uh, multiple days. So we, uh, we now do three days with camping for the two nights. Very cool. And maybe two dozen bands and over the course of the weekend. Seedstock is the first weekend in August this year. Starts Friday, August 2nd, and runs through Sunday, August 4th. Excellent. Everybody show up. Tell me a little bit about what's on your horizon for you personally for Chris Merkley. I've been really busy with the Cortland Main Street Music Series lately. Uh, I started volunteering. For, it's a nonprofit in Cortland. They've... Uh, we're celebrating 16 years now. Uh, it's wow. a free concert series downtown in Cortland every July. So every Friday in July, uh, there's a free concert um, right uh, next to 64 Main Street, essentially, in a city lot. Pretty excited about this year. Um, we have a mix of local, regional, and national headliners uh, for each show. So there's 12 acts total for the series. The music series has been keeping me busy, and uh, some plans for some venues in Cortland uh, are, are can you explain a little bit about that? A lot of my time. Yeah, that's uh, Cortland has awarded a uh, downtown revitalization grant. I was able to submit a project, for, uh, a private project uh, proposal for that, and was awarded funding to open a music venue in Cortland. It'll be a mixed entertainment space with uh, two floors. The first floor will be food and beverage, mini bowling, some different like family friendly gaming stuff, just like entertainment type things. But the second floor will have the music venue and an outdoor rooftop uh, deck that it opens up to. And so the plan is to have recording capabilities for audio and video um, to broadcast shows, but also uh, be a kind of a streamline the process for bands to create uh, high quality content, uh, live content um, or studio content. But that's kind of a long-term project. It's, it's a new endeavor and we're still in the planning and contracting phases. It's going to take a couple of years at least. Uh, it's all, it's well, hurry up. all new to me, but excited. yeah. Yeah. I, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having as me. always. Where can people find you? I have a website, Chris Um, last name's M E R K L E Y. I also have a page with my different projects, Digger Jones, Merkley and Morgan, um, and I have a new project called The Speculators. Um, we're all on Facebook in various forms. Also, oldboyrecords.com. O-L-D-B-O-Y, not to be confused with John Prine's record label. Oh, <laughs> boy, records. But oldboyrecords.com. Old I've gotten very good at pronouncing my Dot D's. Com. Yes. Only you and your eyes in the morning. Only you can ease my mind this way What you do is magic to my senses I don't need to mention All the things you do and what I say Is ask me for the world I'm 
Stars for you to hold. 